Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning. We'll be able to come here on, on a beautiful day. It's a warm day. But Lord, I thank you that we are here in San Diego on a beautiful campus. And I pray, Father, that we will just make the most of this weekend. And Lord, I pray that we will make the most of it by communion with you, by getting to know who you are, how marvelous you are, how majestic you are. And Father, I pray that our hearts would just be open and amazed at everything that you do. So Lord, may we just come before you humbled, willing to learn, ready to learn, and ready to go. Thank you for everyone here. I pray, Father, that you will speak to them, speak to their hearts, that, Lord, your spirit will move in them a greater message than I can preach. Thank you, God. Praise our name. Amen. Amen. So let's see if this works. Perfect. This title, I don't know how many guys like James Bond. How many guys like James Bond here? Yeah, a few of us. It's a little bit, I don't know how popular James Bond is anymore. Um, but when I was growing up, I loved James Bond, and I really loved like the titles they had. They had like really unique titles, right? Um, and I remember, I remember titles like "Tomorrow Never Dies" and um, "The Man with the Golden Finger" and um, or "The Golden Gun" and "Gold and Goldfinger" and, and stuff like that. It was just really weird titles, and this is one of the titles of a James Bond movie. The world is not enough. I'm gonna take it. I have no application between James Bond and my sermon. I'm just, I'm just using the title. <laughs> Yesterday, Kevin preached on 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And he showed us. He showed us the love of the Father. He pointed to us the love of God that's for you, that's for us. And that we are his children. And that is an amazing love to behold. And he says, go see. Go see what kind of love the Father has for you. This morning, I'm going to be addressing the other side of the coin. The other side of the same coin. Right? If, we were, if we were to gaze our eyes on the Father, the reason why there's such a command for us in the Bible is because our hearts and our eyes tend to be drawn towards something else. And that's something else the Bible calls it the world. We constantly have a love for the world. Our eyes are being drawn towards the world. And so, this morning, if we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, if we want to have a heart of a disciple, we have to understand first that we are to look and follow Christ and love God, and see the love He has for us, but we must also understand the struggle that we have in this world. And so the main question I want to answer this morning is why do we love this world? Why do we love this world so much? What is it about this world that draws us, that keeps us away from going towards Christ, that keeps unbelievers blinded in darkness? What is it about this world that's so enticing? But before I reach the passage, um, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. But before we reach there, I want to I give some more context of what exactly is this world and who controls it. And to do that, everything in the Bible starts with Genesis. And so I'm, if you have your Bible, go and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we, we all know the story. It's, it's familiar to us. If you're, whether you're a believer or not, we have all heard the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. But I, want to take, I, want, I want to pick a few portions of this story that I find very important for us to know today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, we know that this serpent here is Satan. The serpent is the devil, and he is more crafty. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, trees, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, 
You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So what we see here so far is that immediately Satan questions what God says. He brings doubts into the mind of Eve. And Eve, Eve started to have this doubt, started to add different commands to the actual command God gave. Right? God just said, you should not eat of this root, but she added, you should not touch it. And you see how that doubt, that initial doubt, causes us to rethink what God says. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Ultimately, what Satan is saying here is that God doesn't care for you. God doesn't know what's best for you. You should eat that fruit. You can be like God. You will find ultimate pleasure that way. So, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Here we see then the heart of Eve where she looked with her eyes at the fruit, saw that it was desired, saw that it was good, saw that it was tasty, saw that it was something that she wanted. And said she wanted because it was a desire to make one wise. Ultimately, it wasn't just she was hungry she ate it. She ate it because she wanted to be like God. She thought that she knew what was good for her, what was best for her. She fell for the lie that Satan planted in her head. So right from the start with the fall, we see that Satan lies and that this world is deceitful. And I want you to keep that fact in mind. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Here Jesus is speaking. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus, what he's saying here ultimately, is that we all have a master. We... Don't we live in a land that we say we're free, we're free to make choices, we're free to do what we want. Ultimately, what is true about every single human being is that we are all slaves. Right? Romans 6, it says we are slaves either to sin or slaves to righteousness. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus says you have masters and you can only serve one of them. Either, you're a mas either your master is God or your master is the world. And the way the world serves you as a master is your love for money. And that's his example at the end. Those two cannot coexist. You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. Those two are opposed to each other. And so the second point I want us to remember about this world before we get into our passage is that we as human beings all serve a master. We all serve a master. And the world, guys, the world is not, does not offer what God offers. When we say we want you to follow God, to see the love of God, we want you to look away from this world because this world does not love God. The things that it offers, it's not 
comparable to God at all. You don't have to turn there, but in James chapter 4, verse 4, James chapter 4, verse 4, verse 4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? I mean, you're enemy with God. Friendship with the world. If you're friends with the world, then you're an enemy of God. Those are two opposing masters. You cannot serve both. Which then leads us to our passage that we're going to look at. So you have your Bibles turned to 1 John chapter 2. If you haven't noticed already, we are focusing on 1 John throughout this series. That the heart of discipleship, we're going to see what John specifically has to say about the heart of discipleship. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 15 to 17. And this is what John writes. Here we, in verse 15, we see another command. This time it's a command in the form of a warning. And this is the other side of the same coin. Right? Kevin yesterday preached on chapter 3, verse 1, saying, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Here it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The first thing we see in our passage, does this work? No. First thing we see in our passage is the command. Do not love the world or the things in this world. This is, this is our daily struggle. Right, when we're saved at conversion, we see a glimpse of the love that the Father has through His Son. When we see Jesus Christ on the cross, bearing our sins, we see an illustration of that great love. And we catch a glimpse and we taste it but we still live in this world, in our fleshy bodies. I mean, ongoing through the rest of our Christian walks, there is a battle. There's a battle to stay on the path. And on the sides, it's slippery, it's muddy, and you can get stuck. If you want to watch some people with me, you know what muddy looks like. And if you want to know more about that story, ask one of us. Muddy means you get stuck. It means you take forever to get out of it. It means you can't walk along that path. The battle between the world and God exists every single day, every single moment for all of us. And if you love this world, that means that the love of the Father is not in you. Guys, get that. You want to be, if you want to be identified as a Christian in this world, people should not be looking at you and saying that you have all these different identities in the world. You have the most followers. You get the best grades. You can do all these different hobbies. Super good at basketball, good at playing video games. Those are all worldly titles. When people see you, they should have, they should see that the love of the Father is in you. They should ultimately point at you and say that you love God. But what is it about this world? Again, that just I, I'm the main question I want to ask is what is what is it that's going on with our hearts? Why is this world so attractive? Let's take a closer look at verse 15, where we see the condition of our hearts. For all that is in the world, and note here. That John, when he, when he started listing off these things, all that's in the world, he lists off things the heart. He doesn't actually list off things like wealth, money, titles. He lists off the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
Now, for some translation, the pride of life means the pride in possessions in this world. So what's going on here is that the thieves of the world isn't necessarily the thieves that are in the world, right? The fruit that God created, that itself isn't bad. It is the heart, the human heart that causes that to be sin. It's the desires that we have for the world, have for creation, that we place above the creator. And that is not what God intended creation to be. Those things are not from the Father. Those things are from the world. Meaning the minute you exalt these things of the world above God, they are no longer from God. They are your idols, your selfish desires. Those are your sins. But what is it that is the world? What does that look like today? Remember the two things in the beginning. I said that Satan lies to us. Satan deceives us. Deceives us. Deceives us. And the second thing is that we all serve masters. We all serve a master. How does that look like practically for all of us? Because we're also living in this world. How do we recognize that we are being lied to? How do we recognize that we are that we are serving a master? Now, I want to I just want I want to tackle a very specific part of our everyday lives that we all struggle with. But it doesn't doesn't mean that this passage is talking specifically about that. But this is an application of this. And I want to talk about I want to talk about our smartphone. So, we ask you guys to put away your cell phones. It's, it's a rule. Smartphones are great. Again, nothing wrong with things of the world in and of themselves. It is the heart. But what is it about smartphones that, that causes us to be so attached to it? That causes us to be so that we need to hold on to it. That we need to touch it. We need to check notifications all the time. Now, when I'm speaking to you guys, keep in mind I'm also speaking to my peers. I'm speaking to your counselors as well. So if you guys need to, you know, repeat your own counselors about their smartphone usage, go ahead. I'm enabling us to do that. All right. But we, but we all, this generation, people, even our parents, I can see my mom constantly on her phone these days, typing away. And I'm like, how many, who is she, who is she messaging these things to? She has more friends than I do. And I don't know what's going on. And... There's something about phones that attracts us, that, 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 that draws us in, that entices us. I want to take us a deeper look into that. I want us to understand what is it about these phones, about specifically social media on our phones and video games on our phones that really attaches to our hearts. Now, Now, we all know that cell phones have control over us. I mean, how many of you, how many of you guys just now feel the, the need to, to look at your phone? Right? How many of you guys feel that heat already? Within the last, like, 10 minutes I've just been speaking. I, I mean, it's just, it's amazing what phones have done to us subconsciously. I mean, when we just go on with our days and we have nothing to do, we automatically just pull our phones, turn it on, and look at it. And nowadays, people have been getting these weird vibration fields in their, in their legs or in their, from their person, and the phone is not even ringing at all. And they all think it's vibrating because our minds are tuned to want to feel that. We want notifications, right? You guys never felt that? Then I don't know what to say about you. Um, what is it about that? Like, we know our phones have attachment to us, and there's a tug of war in our heart. That's saying that we need to put this phone down, but yet 10 minutes later, we, we pick it back up. And, we, and there's a constant tug of war. What's going on here? Well, I wanted to actually let you know that this is not just a Christian problem. First of all, this is not just a Christian problem. This is a problem recognized by so many people in this world today. A lot of psychologists um, and, and scientists out there talk about this. All right. I remember reading an article. This is a long quote. Uh, from the article. I'm reading about an article about 
uh, a photographer, and he he found this picture. He found this picture from a music festival music festival in London, and in that picture, there's this one pop music figure. I don't know him. I I couldn't recognize him. I know nothing about current pop culture these days. Um, but he was in the middle of it, and surrounding him were all these people with their arms extending out. But as their arms extend out, they're not standing out to touch him. They're standing out to take a video or a picture of him. And that, that picture of, of, that, of those arms standing out to this artist, it, it made this person think. And this is what he says about it. He says, It is such a remarkable foam zombie moment. Exactly like the undead in movies, the fans are grabbing and crawling for the artist, but there is no eye contact. Scant human interaction to be had between them. The reason I find this so evocative is because I see myself in that zombie crowd. I'm the same sort of person, documenting every pretty and remarkable scene around me, building sunsets, plates of nicely ornamented food, as if the memory would perish if it didn't get clicked. It's gotten so bad, I now realize I'm not really sure I'd be able to enjoy sightseeing without my phone. I experience a sense of approaching guilt or failure if I enjoy something and don't capture a photo of it. Ultimately, what this person is saying, I know there's a lot of big words. Ultimately, what this person is saying here is that people in this world can't seem to enjoy the moment for the sake of the moment anymore. They can only enjoy the world around them through the lens of their phone. People, I, I go to sporting events and I see people watching, literally watching plays and games through their phone, videotaping it. They're not even watching it with their own eyes. They're watching it through their phone. What is going on with the world today? How many of us behave this way. Now, this here is just addressing the problem. What I'm really interested in is getting to the root of the problem. What is it at the root that's causing us to be so enchanted by our phones? Well, in order to truly understand it, we have to understand technology and as well as marketing and business. So things might get a little bit heady at this point. Stay with me a little bit. I, I worked in I worked in computer science field for, for the past seven years, and for the last year or so, I've been working with a lot of things revolving around data and how to use data to understand our customers. And as we understand our customers, we're able to predict our customers' behavior. Now, this is something newer for my company, but this is something that's. Companies like Facebook and Google have been doing for decades. They've been taking data, analyzing it to understand their customers so that they can better predict what you and me are going to do on their platforms and what we want. Back in 1998, a technology came out. This is around the time of the internet boom. A technology came out called persuasive technology. And the way persuasive technology, what that is, persuasive technology, it's a it's technology created to create an environment, to create a world where users who enter into this world are able to fulfill their desires. This is the quote. Persuasive technology, also called persuasive design, works by deliberating, creating digital environments that users feel fulfilled their basic human drives to be social and tame goals better than real-world alternatives. Meaning, Persuasive Technology wants to create a digital world where you think this world that you're in, this virtual world, is better than the real world around you. This is practically what's going on today. Right? And there's, there's stories about these, there are movies about these, right? There's a second quote from the same article. This guy, 
His name is uh, BJ Frog. Dr. BJ Frog, he, he is often called the founder of persuasive technology, the father of persuasive technology. He says this, we can now create machines that can change what people think and what people do, and the machines can do that autonomously, meaning the sh- machines are now built where all they do is get data from you. They learn, they get data from you, and based off that data, based off all the Facebook things you click on, based off all the Instagram photos you take, based off all the Snapchat um, pictures you send out, based off all the Google searches you make, everything is connected, and these machines will take all that data and they, they can build your profile. That is what these machines are doing. They can build your profile, and based off that profile, they can predict the way you think and what you would do if they were to make a certain change. In other words, these machines now are influencing you. They are training you as if you're a dog to behave a certain way, to do a certain thing, simply because they know what your heart wants. They can predict when you might become depressed just based off what you're posting online. And based off how you might be, they might inject something that no makes you happy. And that might mean you go buy that one item or pay for that service. And that's marketing. And that's what's going on today. And that's what's going on on your phones right now at this moment. I don't even know this is true, but I've heard rumors that your phone's mics are hearing every conversation you're, we're saying right now. And that as we, we can talk about one thing over and over again, and sooner or later, you'll see on your Facebook feed ads for that exact same conversation that you have. Again, I don't know if that's completely true or not, but I don't doubt what technology can do these days. Let me bring it down a little bit more practical for you guys. Guys, boys, your video games. You guys realize that programmers create video games understanding exactly the way you'll behave. They know exactly what will keep you engaged and keep you onto their platform. Here's a quote about video games from some, for some programmers. They say, video games better than anything else in our culture, deliver rewards to people, especially teenage boys. Teenage boys are wired to seek competency, to master our world and get better at stuff, video games. And dishing out rewards can convey to people that their competency is growing. You can get better at something second by second. Now, guys, this isn't written by psychologists. This isn't written by Christian pastors or scholars. This is written by people who are writing software. And they're writing your video games. They know what you want. They know that as guys, as males, we have this drive to be competent, to be powerful, to be a master, to be in control. They know that that's what we ultimately seek. Right? I, I know I feel that. I didn't necessarily grow up with smartphones, but I grew up playing a lot of basketball and basketball court. And I know that I love to win a lot on the basketball court. And my team is not winning. I get mad and I get frustrated. And I remember one time I was playing ball at school at Wana High. And, and, and I, we were playing against these bunch of scrubs. And I just thought that we, my team should be winning and we should win. And we were down. We were down by five. It was a game up to 11 by one. And it was like 10 to 5 or game point, And I had the ball, and I just remember getting the ball stripped from me. I got frustrated, and automatically, subconsciously, I swung my arm and hit the guy. I took myself out of the game after that moment, realizing what happened. And I didn't play for the rest of the day. I ended up going home, but I did apologize to him. But that's what I mean by, as guys, we have a need, a desire to feel competent, to feel powerful, to feel like we're in control. And programmers know this, and they're building games that, that feeds into that. I hear the big game these days is getting called Fortnite, never played it, never looked at it, 
Don't even, never seen a video of it. Don't even know what it looks like, but I've read about it. Minecraft, I know about, but um, but when I read about it and I read about what the game is, I mean, it's just a game of battle royale of people exercising dominance over one another. It's it's a it's a it's a battle of our hearts to gain competency. You see then how the world is drawing our hearts. But not just for guys. I almost I almost get this quote. Not just for guys, but even for girls. Programmers know what you want to. Especially those who are on social media, who built social media platforms, those who built Facebook, those who built um, Snapchat, Instagram. I know they're all under Facebook now, but like those who built all those things, they know they know what you want. And they know that for girls, they have, and teenage girls especially, they have a need to feel socially successful. Meaning others see them and they see them as someone who's popular, someone who, who people like to be with, people who they see as someone who's socially competent, they can talk, they can act, they can, they can say these things, they can dress nicely. I don't know how to fully explain it since I'm not... I didn't grow up in teenage, as a teenage girl, but it's but this I, I'm reading this and it, it makes sense to me, right? And I'm hoping it makes sense to you as well that this that when you receive a when you, when you post a picture on Instagram or you you send out a snap that you want the likes, you want the views, you want the followers, and that makes you feel socially competent, socially successful, and. The reason why social media designers put those in there, the reason why they Facebook built that like button is because pe- they know people like it, right? People like the like button. People like to click on it, and people like receiving it, and especially on the receiving end, people like that. And so they try to post memes and pictures. They try to make the best creative photo out there. Because they know at our hearts, that's what keeps us engaged with their platform. If that's no longer there, if that what we call what we call that social equity, meaning we have social rights. Well, if that wasn't there, I don't think any of us here will be as engaged on those platforms. Nobody else will care as much. If you could post a picture and you know nobody saw it, well, people did see it, but you, you didn't know who, how many views you got or how many likes you got. Will you still keep posting? Where's, where, where, where's the drive coming from? That was the case. See, people know that. They know what's in our hearts. They know how to get your attention. They know how to keep you engaged. And what's happening, what's really happening, guys, is that these programmers are deceiving you to thinking that you are acting on your own will. But in reality, they are the one controlling you. Lies serving a master. Just another quote from from someone technology. We have now developed a rigorous technology of the human mind that is both exciting and terrifying. We have the ability to twindle some knobs in the machine learning dashboard we build, and around the world, hundreds of thousands of people are going to quietly change their behavior in ways that are unbeknownst to them, feel like second nature, but are really by design. That is what's happening with technology these days. When a smartphone was created, we were all excited by the ease of use of it. I remember my sister, before the first iPhone came out, was thinking, why can't we play music off our phones? Then I don't have to carry around two devices anymore. I don't carry around iPod and my cell phone. And then the iPhone came out. And it was, the, it was this amazing device of convenience. Everything in the palm of your hand. And we were excited about it. 
but software companies looked at that and they're excited for a whole different reason because they know they can make money off that, off human desires, off human needs. Software programmers, they call this technology, they, they call this brain hacking. They create technology that has full control over your daily habits and thoughts, and they do it quietly. And that, to me, I think that's the scariest thing about it. That we don't even know that we are being lied to and deceived and being controlled. I mean, how many guys, the first thing you do is look at your phone when you wake up in the morning and see what notifications you have. How many of you guys, after this message today, will go look at your phone to see what text you have? How are we so controlled by this? That when a video game says a raid is going to start at this time, we all block off that time period for it. Do we realize how much we are in under control by these software out there? That we are being lied to, and that we are being controlled as slaves. But ultimately, what that lie is comes back down to our hearts. You see, even though these are all written by secular scientists out there, psychologists and, and programmers, even though they recognize that this is a problem, that even some of them who are programming these things, they need to understand how this technology works, and they feel bad that this is happening. I hear about this group in Silicon Valley that is starting uh, this whole program to help people get off their cell phones. And these are people. And this company is built off people who used to work in Apple, who used to work in Facebook, who used to work in Google. And they left the companies because they realized that their technology they're building is harmful. And these are all secular unbelievers gathering together. And they recognize the harm that comes to it, and they see it, and they, and they recognize, and they blame the technology that they build. They blame the companies leveraging it against humans. But let me tell you this, because the Bible sees it differently. The Bible sees it as the way 1 John 2 writes it in verse 16. That it comes from the desires of the heart, of the flesh, it comes from the desires of the eyes, and it comes from the pride of life or possessions. Ultimately, that is what the problem is, guys. The problem is not the software you're touching. The problem is not your phones. The problem is not the video games you play with or the social media platform you're on. The problem isn't all that. The problem lies within your hearts. Your heart wants it. Your heart wants it. And as we continue feeding it through our eyes, it will continue feeding it to our hearts. The Bible even says that, right? The cell phone companies, smartphones, they're all about notification because why? Because they want your eyes to be engaged with it. They want your eyes looking at it. They, want your, they don't want your attention to be off of it. The minute your eyes go away from your phone, that's the minute they lose you. They want to keep you on there 24-7. No wonder we're constantly looking at our phones. But in Matthew chapter 6, we looked, at, we looked at verse 24, but right before verse 24, in verse 22 to 23, Jesus says this about the eye. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is nothing new, guys. The Bible knows this and talks about this. It knows what happens when your eyes are engaged with something other than God. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that is what we struggle with. That is the problem of our hearts. And the consequence of all that, the consequence of all that is this. Verse 17, the world is passing away with its desires. 
but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here we have a direct contrast between the world and God. If you love the world, it says that the world is passing away along with its desires. We understand that. The world understands that. That phrase, the world is passing away along with its desires, is what's true in your smartphones right now. I've never known anyone to post a perfect Instagram picture. Right? If you posted a perfect Instagram picture, you posted it, and you said, I'm done. That's it. I fulfilled Instagram. And I am done with it. I have posted the best picture out there. No longer need this. No longer need this application anymore. It's over. I'm good. I mastered it. Never heard anyone say that. No matter how many followers you get, no matter how many likes you have, your heart is never satisfied. That, that pleasure, that immediate pleasure you get from all that disappears. Fleeting pleasures. The world is passing away with its pleasures, with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That there is amazing. See, as we talk and understand what's going on in our hearts, and even though I'm simply talking about smartphones, this has been happening for, for years, for centuries. This is what's happening with our hearts. Even before smartphones, this is that people struggle with that in their hearts. Right, that's why back in the 90s, there was all these drugs, all these gains, all these gambling problems, alcohol addiction. All these things happen because of the desires of the heart, wanting to feel exactly what you're feeling. And nowadays, science, people have been saying, sociologists have been saying that because of phones, kids are actually safer physically because they're not doing as much drugs. They're not having as much pre-adult um, sex. Um, I don't even know what to call it, pre-18. Um, and people aren't, people aren't, people aren't engaged anymore. People aren't as violent towards one another anymore. But mentally, there has been a rise of issues. Because mentally, we are feeding our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our souls with what's going on in our phones. And that's what's happening today. The problem isn't because of phones. The problem isn't because of drugs and gangs back before phones. The problem has always been in the human heart. Have you looked at your own heart and understand what is going on in there? And again, I'm speaking to all of us, right? From our parents who are now super like out there with Facebook and going crazy and nuts to your own counselors who are also looking at phones and using your phone to you guys as teenagers whom sociologists say as teens, those are, as children, those minds are the most malleable. I mean, they can form the most habits out of them. Why do you think Facebook is coming out with Messenger Kids for those who are under, I don't know what age it was, it's seven or something like that? It's because they want to get them in a habit of using their technology early. Habits being formed without them knowing it. But what is the solution if that is a problem? If the problem is our hearts, what is the solution? Well, God created us to, to enjoy things. And while the desires of our heart for pleasure, for joy, for peace... For security, that desire is not wrong. What is wrong is that we seek to fulfill that desire with the world and the things of this world. We seek to listen to the lies of Satan who says that this one fruit is better than God. We seek to wrestle control of our lives away from God. But those who see Christ as their greatest treasure, who looks upon the cross and see the love of God for them. Let that fulfill you. Let that be the soul desire of your hearts. 
Let that be your driving force. That is what we need. How does that look like for us? We can turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I love this song. I'm going to read the whole thing. Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man, meaning this man is fulfilled, this man has pleasure, this man has joy. Blessed is this man. This man has it. Blessed is this man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, nor loves this world. This man who does not love this world. What does he do? says verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This man looks upon the word of God and sees the love of the Father described in Scripture. With our eyes, with our eyes reading, seeing, our eyes reading this text, seeing what love God has for us, that fills him, satisfies him, and he meditates on that day and night. Meaning the first thing he wakes up isn't to reach for his phone. The first thing he does when he wakes up is to pray and to reach for his scriptures. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. If you want to be a fruitful disciple of Christ, when we're talking about the heart of a disciple and what that looks like, it looks like this. It looks like there's fruit that's hanging from this tree, full and delicious, and he prospers in all that he does. This man has it, and he finds joy in that because he has his eyes fixed on God. The wicked are not so are like shafts that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous, the one who does the will of God, will abide forever the wicked. Those who love the world will perish, will not remain forever. Guys, friends, boys and girls, stop satisfying yourself with lesser joys of this world and start fixing your eyes upon the greatest joy and the greatest treasure of all, God and His love for you. Do you believe? Do you believe that God can fulfill all things? Do you believe Jesus when he says in John 4, 4, that whoever drinks of my water, he shall never thirst again? Do you believe in that? Do you believe that you can find the all-satisfying peace and joy that can only be found in God alone? Do not let Satan deceive you. Do not let Satan use the things of the world to lie to you. Instead, instead of serving the ruler of this world, let's serve the ruler of the universe. Let's serve God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many likes you have. On your phone. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't matter how many kills you get. What matters most is whether or not you have a personal relationship with God. Because guys, when you die, 
when you die, you cannot take your followers with you to heaven. But when Christ dies, he can take his followers with him. Remember that. Be a follower of Christ. Be a follower of Christ. Seek God. Seek his will. Abide in him forever. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious love that is perfect. And it covers our imperfections. What love is that? Lord God, may we fix our eyes on you, but Lord, we need your help because our flesh is weak. And Satan is constantly whispering in our ears. Lord, may we not listen to him. May we say, Satan, get behind us. May we fix our eyes on Christ and on him alone. And may we find joy and pleasure in him. Thank you, God, for such a gift that we don't deserve. That, Lord, we can see you and witness and experience your love for us. What an amazing gift that is. May we abide in it. May we live in it. May we soak up in it. May we be like a sponge that continues to just grab onto you and soak in everything that you have to teach us about yourself. Lord, may we be true followers of Christ. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for all the people here in this room that, God, our hearts will be right before you. And, Father, we will seek to please you and you alone. I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.